This is Digital Health Today, Episode 62. The more experienced you are, the more successful you are. There is some tendency to sort of skip the early understand, observe phase. Because you think, well, I've done that. We're in the thick of it. We really know what's going on here. Let's get to the design part. Let's get to the creating something part. And uh, that's almost always a big mistake. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Support for Digital Health Today comes from Optum. Optum tackles the biggest challenges in healthcare with innovative, data-driven solutions that help improve outcomes. Optum, how well gets done. Learn more at optum.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 62. May has arrived, spring has sprung for many parts of our community, and there's been some wonderful weather in both the UK and the DC area where I was last week. I was in DC for the Health Data Palooza conference hosted on the 26th and 27th of April. It was a fantastic conference chaired by Razu Shretza and Kelsey Millard. There were some outstanding talks and panels at that event, and while I was there, I had the chance to do some video interviews. I caught up with Rob Coppage. He's the CEO of Echo Health Ventures. You probably remember his article from last year that pronounced that digital health is dead. I asked him about that and talked about his advice for innovators. I also interviewed Tim Kelsey about his experiences having moved from England to Australia to lead up the Australian Digital Health Agency and the work that he and others are doing through the Global Digital Health Partnership. Australia is one of the 17 countries that are signed up so far for participating in that global digital health partnership, and you can learn more about that at gdhp.org. Make sure you've subscribed to our newsletter, and I'll make sure to send you links to those videos when they go live. In fact, please, please, please don't forget to check your email and click the purple button to confirm that you want to stay on our digital health community. The GDPR regulations are coming into effect on May 25th. It was a big topic in some of the sessions at Health Data Palooza. We obviously want to use best practices to ensure we're keeping you informed, so we need you to opt back into the community, even if you've opted in recently. If you don't see a purple button on your emails, then that's because you've already opted in, so we're all set. Please check your inboxes, your tabs in Gmail, your nested emails in iMail, or whatever program you use. Please find the email from Digital Health Today and opt back in so we can keep you informed on all the great guests and events we're working on in the weeks and months ahead. There's some additional advantages to being part of our digital health community. For example, our sponsors and partners offer discounts. We have discounts for Health 2.0, Wired Health, and other conferences around the world. In fact, right now, one of our outstanding sponsors, Dot Health, is offering an exclusive discount just for members of our community. Dot Health has partnered up with GoDaddy to offer a 40% discount for our listeners on new registrations of the Dot Health domain names. This is not being advertised on social media. It's not something you'll find through their website, and it's only something you'll hear about here and in our newsletter. That offer expires at the end of May, so again, check your email, get the link, sign up for that, and you'll save 40% on your Dot Health registration when you register through GoDaddy. All right, this is episode 62, and today we're speaking with one of the very best design companies in the entire world. IDEO is a pioneer of human-centered design, and they've worked with leading organizations of all sizes to solve complex challenges. IDEO has offices in nine cities across five different countries, and when I was attending the Digital Orthopedic Conference in San Francisco earlier this year, I had the chance to meet Dennis Boyle. He's one of the partners and founding members of IDEO. A few days after that conference, Dennis toured me around their studio in Palo Alto, where he showed me some of their work ranging from toys and voting booths to wearable sensors and surgical kits. For this podcast, I was joined by both Dennis and Dr. Farzad Azampour. 
Farzad is a cardiologist and the director of health at IDEO. He also serves as an adjunct professor at Stanford University School of Medicine and assistant director of design at Stanford Byers Center for Biodesign. In short, these guys know design. We dove into the design thinking process to talk about some of the best tips to implement and the most common mistakes to avoid when going through the design thinking process. We also talked about the myriad resources that IDEO has developed over the years, which include a range of books, videos, templates, and websites that are available for you to access. They've made an unbelievable amount of information available, and to make it easy for you, I've put a load of direct links in the show notes for this episode. You can grab them at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 62. I think this is probably the longest list of links of any episode we've done so far, so please go to the website, check that out. Again, you can get there at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 62. Now let's tune into the interview with Dennis Boyle and Farzad Azampour of IDEO. Dennis, Farzad, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having us. Dennis, let's start with you. You're a partner and one of the founding members of IDEO. Can you tell us a little bit about the vision of the organization in those early days? We were friends at Stanford in this program called Product Design. We just were passionate about design and creating things, building things, innovation of all sorts. And David Kelly actually started the company around 1978 and had his friends come join him. And I was one of the first friends to come. And, uh, well, that first 10 years is very exciting, but just about survival. I mean, we had a, a lot of cool startup companies in the Bay, uh, the Bay Area, high tech and computer and a little bit of medical and health. But it was mostly about trying to just survive from one month to the next. But luckily we did. And uh, things have slowly but surely built over over many years to be what it is today. But we really didn't have much uh, forward vision that things would work out this well. When did things begin to change then for IDEO? I mean, you merged in 1991 with another company. You have now nine locations around the world. You have over 700 employees. You've got 23 design capabilities. You've had huge success in a variety of areas. When did things begin to change for IDEO that really you realized you were on a winner here? I think in the late 80s and early 90s when we did merge, we merged with two companies to form IDEO that we have been working closely with. They were next to us or down the street or you know, up in San Francisco and design companies. So we, we kind of made this multidisciplinary play very uh, obvious and, and uh, overt uh, in this 1991 uh, formation of what is now I, IDEO. So that, that's really where things started to take off. And we didn't even call it design thinking yet, but we were practicing it. It was this whole multidisciplinary approach to uh, uh, innovation. Farzad, how about your experience? I know you're a medical doctor. You trained and qualified before you joined IDEO. What drew you to getting involved in a, a design agency? Well, I was very fortunate to have the chance to rotate at IDEO as an extern through the Stanford Biodesign Program, where I was completing my fellowship, my postdoctoral fellowship after cardiology training. And my initial thought was, you know, this would be a great opportunity to do something that I'll never have a chance to do again, going to a design firm for a month. Uh, while my friends were at venture capital firms and, and startups and big medical device companies. So my plan was originally to, to head back to complete interventional cardiology training. But when I showed up on, on day one of my externship, I found that it was quite the legitimate medical design facility, really. I was uh, fortunate to join a team of engineers and, and surgeons and 
and designers who who I would never have the luxury to to work with uh, in any other capacity. Uh, so really through working with Dennis and, and team that month, I was able to somehow uh, just not really leave. <laughs> we like to joke, we just can't get rid of him anymore down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's there to stay from what I see. So it was really, as you said, you called it a legitimate medical design facility. You, you were joining other surgeons and medically trained people. I mean, how many of you are there inside of IDEO? Yeah, so I, you know, on on day one, I walk in and there's there's a neurosurgeon who's who's operating part time and and working at IDEO uh, really full time. There was a general surgery resident who was who was actually in lieu of her traditional academic research at Stanford was actually rotating at IDEO for two years. And so when you walk into to an environment like that, where physicians are actually working side by side with mechanical engineers and product designers and industrial designers, and really people who represent crafts who, who we would never otherwise see in the hospital or interact with, this was someplace special. This was someplace where you, you can't just turn around and walk away once you've had this experience. And so it's a chance for physicians to participate at a level that they would never otherwise have access to. And ultimately, hopefully, to see these things commercially successful and, and help the lives of patients and, and people treating and caring for patients. I know when I was there a few weeks ago and Dennis gave me a tour, I was really stunned at some of the projects that he explained you guys had been involved with. So what you just explained in terms of the level of people, the, the training, the qualifications and what people are doing that are working with NIDO, it makes a lot of sense that you guys would get involved in some of these really bleeding edge, leading edge technologies in the healthcare field. But let's start with some basics here because, you know, Dennis, you mentioned that design thinking wasn't even something that you called it there in the early days. You were doing it, you were practicing it, you were developing the, the thoughts around it. But design thinking is a term we hear about, but sadly isn't a term that's talked about often enough in healthcare. It's increasing, but it isn't mainstream like you see in other industries. So just to start with the basics, can we just start with the definition of what design thinking is? Well, design thinking is a process that really we we we've just called it a design process for since the beginning of time here. By, by calling it design thinking, it gives you permission to apply it to things that are not just product design, kind of tangible products, and and, and but it allows you to expand it into services and strategies and experiences and spaces and environments and so on uh, because the the process seems to be applicable in all these much less tangible and more experiential areas but in root it has this sort of inspiration phase that fundamentally is human-centered in its beginnings and its research and understanding trying to understand what the user what the patient what the customer what whoever it is that needs change needs innovation needs needs design needs well, what they are looking for what they have to have or and then there's a period of experimentation or synthesis or prototyping that where you're taking what you understand from the user the patient the customer and and design and create solutions many of them and test them and what rises to the top then is implemented in a much more careful way where there's pilot studies and, and longer term tests to see if what you've got really is viable from a business standpoint and a, from a user standpoint. So we like to say there's this balancing act of 
people factors or human factors and technical factors and uh, business factors. They're kind of overlapping circles. And uh, design thinking comes in with the human factors, but but depends on balancing these other parts of the landscape. So it's more than appearance. It's more than form. It's not materials. As, as you said, it can be applied to services and to other areas. So how is it actually implemented? And we can talk about specifically healthcare because that's obviously what, what we're focused on here on this platform. How do people learn about it? How do they engage with you? And how do you actually apply this creative problem-solving approach of design thinking into healthcare? One thing that I think really makes this work is beyond internally having a multidisciplinary team with, with these capabilities that we have here, what really makes this work in a medical setting or in a healthcare setting is that we involve stakeholders across the board in the design process. So rather than taking something to, let's say, a regulatory expert or a reimbursement expert late in the game after we've gone so far, we involve them early so that any pain points or any preferences that they might have in, in how we consider various aspects of design, that those are incorporated in early so that we can use them in our next range of prototypes. And so by, by taking these out in front of people who will actually determine ultimately whether this is a successful medical product, whether this is adopted by clinicians and healthcare systems, that's the ultimate goal. Uh, you know, it's probably a lot easier for people to to stay within an office and work internally, work silently amongst themselves. But what makes the process robust is getting out into the field, interacting with people, personnel who in their setting, in their clinical environment, uh, where they make decisions. And so that they feel comfortable knowing that ultimately when when this is ready to to hit the clinical setting, that that they're ready and excited to take it on. So Farzad, you've been there since 2016, and you mentioned uh, the the level of training that you uh, went through at Stanford and this one-month rotation, and now you've been there for a couple years. What was your experience like coming away from that, all that medical training and that perspective, and then having this different exposure? I don't want to say your eyes open, because your eyes were certainly open to a lot of opportunities before, but this very different perspective on problems and processes and problem solving, what are some of the things that you would say to other people like you that are going through or are now practicing physicians and, and clinicians about how they can adopt design thinking to their systems and to their practices? A lot of this started with the biodesign fellowship program at Stanford, which has now been replicated uh, really globally. There, there are academic programs all over that take clinicians and engineers and, and business folks and designers and put them on teams like this to learn the development process, the complexities that are involved in, in the design of medical technology, whether it's devices or, or digital health. And so many of the clinicians I've found who, who enter into these types of programs go in with a mindset that once I'm done with this fellowship program, I'm going to go back and I'm going to practice medicine differently. I'm going to look at things very differently, which is in fact the case. I, I still do practice part-time. And, and when I am in the hospital, I really do look at things differently. But when we're trained to analyze things, whether it's to determine a better way of, of treating someone, whether that's with a, with a new type of drug or a new type of device, and, and we're thinking about it in terms of clinical trials and, and our traditional ways of analytical thinking, I think having had exposure to this environment now, 
opens up an entirely new perspective of a parallel track of design research. So whereas in medicine, we, we study the mean, we study the tens of thousands potentially of patients who would be enrolled or, or represent uh, a population. In, in design research, what we're really looking for is inspiration from extreme cases. So if we go into an operating room, as an example, we have more to learn. And I'm going to pay more attention now when I'm in a clinical setting. When I watch a novice surgeon, a resident surgeon, and I'm also going to learn a lot from a master surgeon because on either ends of this spectrum, they're going to teach me things. The master surgeon is someone who has generated workarounds. They've maybe run into to an obstruction or run into an obstacle, and they've figured out how to make do with, with their instruments. On the opposite end of the spectrum, a novice surgeon may have a little bit more difficulty, and, and you'll watch them struggle, and, and you'll watch them try to become creative. But if we were to study instead your, your average surgeon, per se, there would be less to learn there. So I think having had exposure to this perspective where, where we do look at extreme cases, it's a nice way to augment how we look at the world, how we observe the clinical world. I should point out that while I was doing the research for this call, I was obviously Googling IDO and looking at all the various websites that you have. So all the listeners who are tuning into this, I will have links in the show notes for a variety of resources that IDO has put together, including IDO University. You've got a design kit website, designkit.org. Uh, there's IDOU, the letter U.com. Um, you've got podcasts that are available uh, that one of them I saw in particular went through design thinking and healthcare. You had Sylvia Vergani from your team at IDEO and also Danielle Schlosser from Verily come on and do a podcast uh, several months ago about design thinking and healthcare. So you know, we'll talk about it here, but there's a lot of resources that you guys have generated about how people can learn more about your approach in healthcare. One of the things I learned is that it was really uh, the, the, the design process or the design, design thinking process uh, is around gathering inspiration, generating ideas, making ideas tangible, and then sharing that story. Where do you think people spend the least amount of time? What are the, the sort of mistakes that they make as they go through those four stages? The more experienced you are, the more um, successful you are. There is some tendency to sort of skip the the early understand, observe phase, because you think, well, I, I've done that. We, we're in the thick of it. We really know what's going on here. Let's get to the design part. Let's get to the creating something part. And uh, that's almost always a big mistake because things are changing dramatically and quickly in everyday use of technology, use of communications. And so you really need to start innovation programs that you want to be disruptive with these so-called first principles, really understanding what the, the very, very current state of the user or patient or you know, provider, whoever you're innovating for is. I think it's it's the tendency of clinicians and, and people out in the field to to jump to solutions. And that's that probably can be applied to people outside of medicine as well. When they when they encounter a problem, the, the likelihood is that they're going to try to jump and solve that problem uh, quite quickly, and which is a survival mechanism and, and works pretty well under certain circumstances. But when we have the opportunity to actually step back and ask the right questions that can then be applied to a number of different solution pathways, I think that's when we find the most uh, viable and, and adoptable 
health technologies that will be accepted by the scientific and, and medical community. I'll get back to the conversation in just a moment, but first I want to tell you about one of our sponsors. Support for Digital Health Today comes from Optum. If you're a sifter of health data, a revealer of insights, or a believer of better days ahead, you'll be interested in the data-driven solutions Optum provides. Through insight and innovations, Optum is working hard to tackle the biggest challenges in healthcare. From pharmacy care services and healthcare operations to population health management and healthcare delivery, Optum uses data and analytics to power modern healthcare and help improve outcomes for all of us. Optum, how well gets done. Learn more at optum.com. Now let's jump back to the conversation. Well, I know that IDEO has been involved in all sorts of projects across a variety of industries, specifically around healthcare. Can you give us a couple examples of some projects that you're able to talk about that demonstrated the the sort of breadth of how design thinking can actually create new solutions and, and very successful ones at that? Something that's shipping now is this Willow breast pump. This was a this is a breast pump that women wear, wear inside their bras. It's very small, very quiet, very it's carefully designed so that women are tethered to uh, uh, pumps and, and cords and tubes and cables. It's been well received. I'd say that that was one where carefully the needs of the users, in this case mothers, new mothers, was taken into account and current technology was applied in materials and understanding of the way babies actually nurse versus just applying vacuum is really paid off. Actually, that was recognized as one of Time Magazine's top 25 best inventions for 2017. That was quite the impact that that product had on the market and that will continue to have uh, as, as that company actually takes things forward and, and considers the needs of mothers, uh, certainly a space that we look forward to designing further into. If we look at an example of, of maybe even a smaller company that, like PillPack. So PillPack is a company that started actually out of a hackathon based in Cambridge and they were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to become a startup in residence at the IDEO Cambridge studio. And they were taking on the challenge of medication adherence, which is quite the problem. We have 40 million Americans who take f- greater than five medications daily. And you can imagine the number of issues that, that someone has in maintaining and managing those adherence practices, whether it's refilling or actually accessing medications or, or even selecting which medications and when am I going to take them and which pills. So clearly a big problem. Many people have tried taking this on. And ultimately, the solution that was developed was, was both in the form of very easy to use pouches that contain or sachets that contain medication assigned to time of day so that someone using this can very easily adhere to their plan, whether it's by dose or by frequency. And also assigning to this a digital interface, whether that's by smartwatch or, or smartphone. And then building really the infrastructure behind this to make it work is the digital pharmacy. It's the online pharmacy. So that in parallel with their clinical practice, who's interfacing with the system, uh, they're able to have an experience that will demonstrate outcomes favorable for, for both the patient and the clinician. Some of the things that may not directly be related to health, but you think about how they could be related in the future. For instance, when we design 
peripheral accessories or devices for our smart devices using AliveCore as an example. So AliveCore is a technology that allows a user to obtain an electrocardiogram from their smartphone, whether that's in the form of a, of a small device that adheres to the back of the phone, uh, or now more recently in the form of an Apple watch band, but really being able to take the capabilities of a smart device from a, a PPG sensor, which, which is a type of optical sensor that determines heart rate, taking it up a level and saying, all right, we're, we can now analyze and, and assess electrical information that gives us a, a whole new perspective of, of what might be going on with the heart whether that's detecting small changes that might put you at risk for something or detecting acute findings that can potentially change the management of a disease. So here again with AliveCore is you have both a hardware and a software component, uh, which is what we're seeing more and more in the medical device world, which is not simply a medical device with, with no further capabilities, but it's a, it's a device or it's a thing that actually provides information and generates new information and potentially has the, has the chance to, to change the way that we actually uh, address new changes in the healthcare plan. Congratulations on that recognition for the Willow breast pump, and thanks for those other couple examples. So now we've got a very sort of forward consumer-facing product with the Willow breast pump. We've got uh, a uh, pharmaceutical solution with the pouches you described, and now the Alive Core, which I think is now called Cardia their device for the, the ECGs to be able to get physician input. And that's obviously right up your alley, Farsad. I don't know if you're involved with that. I think that that product may predate your, your time at, uh, at IDEO, but it's a great solution and it's uh, being used all around the world. I mentioned that I was watching a lot of the videos uh, that were available that particularly Dennis, you've done a lot of speaking over the years. And I saw a video that you did at Stanford and you quoted Roger Martin, who's the Dean of Management at the University of Toronto, and you said, business people don't need to understand designers better. They need to be designers. Do you guys think that the same applies for people working in healthcare? And if so, how do they go about preparing themselves to be designers of healthcare? Well, uh, let me start by answering, and then I want to have Farzad go, because I have been saying recently that doctors need to be designers and designers need to be doctors. And so we've got one right here on the line with Farzad. There, there really is this understanding of how highly trained healthcare professionals need to understand design, but actually need to be designers. So well, I'll let Farzad build on that. I absolutely agree. I think that when you think of historically how a lot of medical technology has hit the spotlight you think of an, in, an individual inventor who has really made their mark. But I think that the more realistic way of, of approaching the process is through working with different stakeholders, whether it is the nursing team or phlebotomists or people behind the scenes, maybe in the laboratory who, who otherwise may not uh, be somebody who you might encounter during a clinical experience. I think working with all of these people on, on a level where everyone's opinion doesn't just matter, but is valued. I think that's the important perspective to take away when, when you're talking about clinicians interfacing with designers and, and really becoming participants in the design process. It's one thing when, when I'm, for instance, working with a team of predominantly engineers, and if I were to propose something, let's say, that wasn't obviously feasible from an engineering standpoint, 
I would rely on my engineering colleague to say, okay, I see where you're going with that and I'm going to help you get there. And the opposite of that as well. If my engineering colleague were to propose something that didn't quite make medical sense at the surface, at least, it would be my role then to say, all right, I see where you're going with that. I'm going to help you get there with my medical background. So I think understanding that type of team dynamic can be applied in a clinical setting. It can help teams think through how they're going to immediately address patient issues and then potentially and hopefully how they're going to to take on new projects to, to think about how they're going to advance care down the line. Well, we've talked about how IDEO's worked with a lot of big clients, but when I was there in Palo Alto with Dennis, you, you explained to me that you don't only work with them, you work with some really early stage businesses as well. So can you describe to me some of the ways that people who might be listening who aren't part of the, those large companies, how they could potentially engage and, and uh, work with you guys as well? We um, do a great deal of work for small and early stage startups, probably 10 or 20 percent of our work. And we have a great relationship with the, the biodesign group that's Stanford that as far as that comes from. And a lot of those grad start companies, and we work for a number of them, and, and there's a lot of exposure to uh, Stanford startups and, and startups in the valley here. So the way it works is we sort of scale what we can do to match the time and budget that these um, startups have. And so it's just a matter of trying to figure out how to add some value at typically lower cost than a no big uh, company engagement. What should people be thinking about to prepare themselves the best so they can have an impact in design firms such as yours? In order to really understand the both the depth and the breadth of what it takes to take a, a medical technology forward, whether that's in the form of a medical device or, or a digital health uh, product or service, uh, one book that I would I would certainly recommend is the Biodesign Textbook, which is which is uh, it's the process of innovating medical technologies. That's that's the textbook name. And for those who may not be able to access the textbook specifically, there's actually an online reference as well that's free and accessible to the public, which is ebiodesign.org. And what this allows one to do is to is to understand what it really takes at each phase of the design process, so you can dive in pretty deeply to understand clinical immersion, to understand synthesis of, of raw data that's captured in the field, and then ultimately to, to get a sense of what it takes to ideate, to create, and to generate new products and services. So uh, I think that's that's the go-to, and it's used by, the biodesign textbook is, is used by fellowships across the across the globe. But I think even, even people outside of fellowships, those physicians or clinicians or entrepreneurs who are interested in, in understanding a little bit deeper what it takes, we'll, we'll reference this set of resources. Great. Thanks for those. And I'll include links to all those in the show notes. What has you most excited about the future for healthcare? I feel that in a clinical setting, there's often, there's often skepticism or even resistance to even considering a lot of digital plays that relate to patient management. Often what we see are, are things that actually add to the, to the workload of physicians and clinicians. So when we think about what's exciting for the future, I think it's, it's understanding what are the ways where we can actually reduce the burden, the administrative burden of, of physicians and allow them to, to go back to, to the core of, of why they went into medicine to begin with. 
um, really just shifting shifting focus in one way, as an example, would be taking advantage of of machine learning and artificial intelligence in a way that seamlessly boosts your productivity and and allows you to spend that one-on-one FaceTime with the patient that that you expect or that the patient expects. We all understand that the digital world surrounds us and, and that it's advancing at a pace that's often hard to keep up with. But I think focusing and shifting our attention back to the rituals that made medicine what it was, and oftentimes that's that's things that you can't necessarily describe, but it's a human connection based on work actually that's highlighted by Dr. Abraham Verghese at Stanford and, and the Presence team, the Presence Center at Stanford, which is reestablishing that ritual and the sanctity of, of that relationship between a clinician and a patient. And so oftentimes that, that focuses on the presence of the physician. And can a relationship of trust be built such that outcomes will be measurably enhanced? So if you have a patient who actually trusts the clinician, they're more likely to, to actually adhere to the care plan. Great. Well, there's obviously a lot of work to be done. It's a very exciting time to uh, be in the healthcare space. And I'm really glad that you guys have such a, a thriving business within IDEO that's really focused on the healthcare space and that you have so much talent that's being applied to it. I normally uh, end up podcast with a six-question lightning round, but just in the interest of time, since I have two guests today, I just wanted to focus on two key questions. First of all, I'd like to ask each of you to give me a piece of advice that you have for others working to innovate in healthcare. This this whole area of digital health, digital therapeutics, it requires an understanding and, and actually, in many cases, not just understanding, but being what we call an interaction designer. What's the experience of a, of, of, of a person, of a, a patient, a user with a digital tool that's on your phone, on your PC, on your, on, on any device, on your, on your wrist? So, so that's just a extremely valuable outlook, skill, understanding to have. And so that's helping to create these newer kinds of programs that help nudge people into better behaviors. That's the big challenge here. We've got like 85 million people in the country that are in this pre-diabetes stage and 75 million don't know it. This is mirrored in almost every kind of chronic uh, condition that we're trying to deal with. And it's, a, it's, it's more than just an opportunity. It's kind of imperative. So being an interaction designer is an important piece of advice for those who want to innovate in healthcare in the future. Excellent. Thank you. How about you, Farzad? I would say that mentorship is probably the most critical part of this game as is the case in, in many industries, but I think because the stakes are potentially so high here that having mentors who have, who have experienced things, who have, who have already experimented and they've experienced failures and successes, learning from, from them is critical. And so you should take advantage of that, whether it's in an academic or in an industry setting. We make a donation to a charity in appreciation of your time on the show. I'm going to make two donations, one for each of you. Can you tell me a little bit about which charity you've selected and a little bit about what they do? I'd like to designate a, a foundation called the Diatribe Foundation, a San Francisco-based uh, foundation uh, started and led by a woman named Kelly Close. And it's just devoted to uh, helping find resources and disseminate knowledge about type 1, type 2 diabetes treatment, uh, management, 
and innovations in this space. It's a lovely organization full of passionate people uh, and uh, getting more and more recognition. I'm on their board. Uh, I like, I just feel that it's a, it's a, a great opportunity to shine a light on them and, and help them in some way. That's great. So that's diatribe.org. I'll include a link to them on the show notes. And how about you, Farzad? I think any opportunity to to support the the mission and the efforts of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is is a noble one. Uh, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital was was founded in in the early '60s in 1962, and they've done a lot of the foundational work in describing the processes and and ultimately developing treatments for for things like sickle cell anemia, leukemia, sarcoma pediatric HIV, and this is for children. So their, their mission statement is actually to, to advance cures and means of prevention for pediatric catastrophic diseases through research and treatment. So really what they're trying to go for is, is and in, this, in the statement they, they specifically lay out, that, that no child is designed treatment based on race, religion, or family's ability to pay. So I think this gets back to, to being able to serve the population more broadly and as we think about things, whether from a digital perspective or some other means, I think we need to, to take this into account that equity should be our goal. Yeah, that's a great organization, stjude.org. So it's stjude.org, and uh, we'll make a donation to them as well. We'll include links to both those charities on the website and encourage others to uh, to make a donation if, they, uh, if they're motivated to do so. What's the best way for people to keep in touch and follow your work? Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, at Dennis J. Boyle and Dennis at IDEO.com. So happy to be helpful if I can. Excellent. We'll include those links. And Farzad, how about you? My email address is Farzad at IDEO.com. And I can be found on LinkedIn. That's my sounding board for now. He's too busy with like three jobs to have on social media, I think. That's understandable. <laughs> we'll give him a break. Listen, gentlemen, I really appreciate you coming on the program. Thanks very much for your time. Very Thank good. you so much for having us. There you have it. That was Dennis Boyle and Farzad Azampour of IDEO. Grab all the links to the resources we discussed in the show notes for this episode at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 62. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other guests we featured, I'd love for you to write a review on iTunes. You can do that directly from the podcast app on your iPhone or through the iTunes software on your laptop. Find out how by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash review. Be sure to check out our partner, Optum. Optum tackles the biggest challenges in healthcare with innovative data-driven solutions that help improve outcomes. Learn more about their work at Optum.com. Follow me on Twitter at HealthTechDan and follow the show at DHealthToday. That's all for me for now. I'll speak with you soon on episode 63. And until next time, keep on innovating.